When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here, and I just wanted to drop in for a quick second to tell you that this podcast is really gaining popularity, and in order for us to continue growing like this, I'd love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. Plus, I'm always excited to hear feedback and continue to improve our content based on what you want to hear. I know I'm in. Are you? What will the Raptors do about the DeMar DeRozan problem? Did the Nuggets win their trade with the Blazers? Who is at fault in the Durant-Westbrook feud? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Thanks for joining us, Dave. We are here live Ready we to are. go. Yeah. And I think this is really cool. We did this last week and we were able to, um, you know, uh, what? We were able to broadcast and record our, our podcast and have it live on Periscope at the same time. And it was a really great response. So we're doing it again. Yeah. My favorite part is, you know, we actually got a lot of really good questions last week. And, you know, we always do a little like pre-show. We, we normally talk for about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour before we do the podcast, which I don't know if that helps or, or hurts. But, um you know, last week we, we did our pre-show and then we got asked a bunch of questions that we hadn't even thought about. So, um, you know, guys, start firing your questions in whenever you're ready. Uh, but to start, I think we, we should start up in Toronto, right? I think so, because it was weird. I literally was uh, DMing you yesterday after they lost again to the Pistons. And I didn't even look at the game, but I didn't realize they lost a big lead in the fourth quarter, uh, early in the fourth quarter, but still uh, in the fourth quarter. And um, I, I said to you that, you know, Casey might be in trouble here. Um, and he sort of has spent a little bit of each year over the, since he's been hired in the hot seat to some degree. But they've lost 10 of 14. And I feel like it's a really quiet story that no one's talked about until, well, I do the video today, which we're going to look at, you know, this afternoon, what's going on there. But what do you think about this? What's, what's the, what are the cracks in the dike that we're seeing? Well, so, you know, they, they've basically been like two games behind the Cavs all season until this slide started. And now they are, after tonight, there's a good chance that they're the fifth seed in the East. Um, for a team that was expected to, you know, improve on last year, uh, you know, maybe push up to 60 games. I mean, they, they started out so well. Um, yeah, this has got to be disappointing. To me, like, well, not just to me, but... To the guys on the team, it seems like they're having issues with the coaching staff, with the offense, and uh, Damari Carroll um, had had some really interesting comments about how, you know, the, in the early parts of the game, they play a, a very team-oriented style, and then it feels like in the fourth quarter it stagnates, and he stands around watching other people with the basketball. Now. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to read into who he's talking about. You know, obviously, this is a shot at DeMar DeRozan, 
but more so, I think, is a shot at Dwayne Casey and the coaching staff. You know, like it, failures in the offense, that, that falls on the coaching staff. It does. Um, it does. The, I mean, what, here's what the interesting thing, and we can compare this to the, the Scott Brooks conundrum, right, where Scott Brooks in Washington, a year separated from coaching OKC, has a really good offense with good movement, and they're getting good shots for these guys, of which had never really appeared you know, in OKC while he coached there. So is it the coach, or is it the players, or is it like a mixture of both? I mean, it's kind of weird for us, I think, at our levels, uh, or, or even you know, any non-NBA level, to look at this and say, well, geez, like you, you design an offense, the players are supposed to run it, and then they don't. Um, I, I mean, that has to be some of it, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. You need buy-in from your players. But if they're doing it for three quarters of the game, I mean, they were up 16 last night before they lost to the Pistons. And, you know, the Pistons are surprisingly not a good basketball team. They're the eighth seed right now. Um, and they haven't been good for a while. And to blow a 16-point lead to a team like that, I mean, that's just inexcusable. Um, do we have the Kyle Lowry quote? Uh, we do. So we'll bring in the Kyle, uh, the Kyle Lowry coach. We certainly want to hear what he had to say about Dwayne Casey. So here it is. Very, you know, professional. Yeah, are you guys beginning to get worried? The slump is kind of Yeah, I am. I am. I'm starting to get worried. Yeah. I mean, it's not going the way we're supposed to be going, and things aren't changing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get worried. Coach talked about the uh, execution down the stretch, time score situation. What went wrong in the fourth quarter there on both ends? <laughs> everything. Honestly, everything. Keep putting in the same situations over and over. And not being successful, something got to give, something got to change. Any idea what that is? Or I have an idea, but I'm going you know, to keep my mouth shut. And keep, it, keep it very, you know. Okay, so that's what we heard uh, from Kyle Lowry. Certainly interesting stuff there. Uh, he has an idea, but he wants to keep it professional. So what's what are we? What's the captain subtext there uh, on that one? Oh, I think he definitely wants to call out the coaching staff, and and my assumption is that there would be some Demar Derozan call out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last night. I mean, the game ended on a DeMar DeRozan mid-range pull-up that he missed. And, you know, he kind of – he was hurt and I don't know. I, I just think uh, he's he's not quite 100%. And when you're not 100%, you need to kind of take a backseat to other guys. But he's not a spot-up guy. That's just not what his game is and that's not why he's got a max contract. So it's hard to adjust to something like that. But this is where the coaching staff needs to come in and they need to say, you know, hey, we, this is how we need to play. You know, it's uh, funny because we, we've seen this before, like with LeBron and the notion of uh, players are not getting called out in the film sessions. Like this seems to be a thing that other players do not like. Uh, they want to have a, I guess, a frank discussion because in their mind, if you do that, then it will allow you to uh, improve and you, you won't have the same mistakes. Uh, I've always sort of advocated they should just do film sessions individually so you don't have to ever deal with that in an you know, in a, in a open setting. But either way, you're right. I think what's, what they're trying to say is that they need Casey 
you know, and fill in the blank. This is, they need Hoiberg. They need, you know, David Blatt, whoever this was. They need him to sort of put your foot down and finally say this because they obviously know. So what that tells me is that obviously Casey's play is designed for a pass here, a pass here, keep him a cut, move, and there's a shot. And that's, it's the players who are breaking it off. It's the player who's breaking it off, in this case, DeMar DeRozan. I mean, right? There's no offense to design when he gets, I would say, 40% of his shots are not off of a kind of an offense that any coach would design. Yeah, and well, you know what? Uh, Periscope just lit up um, when we when we started talking about DeRozan and the offense, and a lot of people have pointed this out. You know, DeMar DeRozan is kind of the king of the tough mid-range jumper. Um, remember early in the season, he started out, he was hitting like 58% or something for the first month of the season, which is why his numbers were so amazing. Um, that That's just not viable, you know, high percentage basketball like you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to do that game after game after game for the whole season and now you know those numbers have fallen back to earth a little bit and we're we're regressing to the mean so um yeah demar like he takes more tough mid-range jumpers than any player i could think of yeah and in, in the beginning of the season we did a video on this and i it was enough games where i sort of had to shrug and say well, I guess he's going to force these mid-range shots. It is sustainable. Um, but perhaps that's the issue is that it's not sustainable. And I think the other issue isn't even that he's still scoring at a decent rate or a decent percentage. It is the ill will you can engender with your teammates, right, uh, if you continue to do that. And, and then you, we, they have some, some uh, uh, losses that get thrown into that as well. So remember, these are 10 to 14. Now, of the 14 games they've they played the last 14, DeRozan's only played in seven of them. So you could argue that the seven that they didn't do well without him is because they didn't have him. But, you know, we're now seven games is not a tiny sample size for a season to look at. OK, he's in there as well. And they're and they're still losing. Well, they're nine and 13 um, since January 1st. That's not a good basketball team. You know, I mean, this is a big skid. This is not a small sample size. I mean, even the 14 games, 10 of 14, that's not a small sample size. Um that's pretty indicative of a team that is struggling when other teams are starting to hit their stride. I mean, look at look at what Washington's doing. I mean, Washington and and Boston both are starting to play some of their best basketball, and you know the Raptors struggling at this point. It, it just doesn't bode well for the future. I mean, you know, to be a five seed after comfortably being a two seed for so long. I mean, it's I don't know. It's tough. I, I don't I don't imagine it gets Casey fired. But if they scuffle, you know, and just kind of squeak into the playoffs or at least go into the playoffs with a whimper and they lose in the first round, I think that that's that's the end of the road for Casey. Okay, well, I I got some interesting provocative uh, ideas coming out here. So I'm looking at the results of these uh, games. And so he played in the first three losses of a uh, five game losing skid that started this 14 game thing we're talking about. And then he was out and then he came back. Uh, so of that, so he played the first three, and those were all losses. Only one of these wins of the last four teams when he played, and it was against the corpse of the Los Angeles Clippers um, at home. So, you know, that you could look at this and say, geez, when he was out, we actually did play a little bit better. Uh, they had a big win over Milwaukee uh, and you know, a, a squeaker over New Orleans, uh, and then they beat the, the Nets. So it's a little bit uneven to look at. But here's the thing, like – 
honestly, if I were you, Jerry, I might even say trade DeMar DeRozan. I was, you know what? You just stepped all over what I was about to say. You <laughs> I <know>? win. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. Well, this is good because this means that it's not a crazy, like it's not a hot take. You know, like I actually, I wasn't a huge fan of the DeMar uh, Max extension. And I had changed my mind for the first two months. I was like, oh, man, okay. Well, DeMar DeRozan has obviously worked on his game. I mean, he is a hard worker. He puts in a lot of work during the offseason. My thought was he was going to start shooting more threes. And, uh, yeah, mm, he just, uh, I don't know. I, I think that there is something there. A DeMar DeRozan trade, like, they, they could fill so many needs if they just could made that make that happen. The problem is who's going to trade for DeMar DeRozan on a max contract? I think that there's a lot of people think he's really good, and, and he is. And I, I have a feeling that there's always going to be a place for a guy like that and that teams will probably mistakenly, you know, buy, uh, buy high on him or whatever that term is. He, they're going to they're gonna give some things away for that. So I don't know. I think that there's something there, and I feel like, you know, this is it. This is the ceiling they have anyway, and their ceiling is Eastern Conference Finals six games tops, right? That's if they're playing really well, uh, and maybe even not even that high anymore without like what they had last year. So, yeah, I'm thinking they could trade DeRozan. Um, you know, I mean, I've heard like some rumors about like get, give BB the, the the starting spot and get rid of Valanciunas as well. It well, you know, who you heard that from who? You heard that from me. I did talk about it on the post game show last week. Okay, yeah, I I would I would be trying to move Valanciunas for sure. DeRozan, I'm not sure about, but it was a thought I had. I mean, I I wonder if Orlando wouldn't be interested in in DeRozan. You know, a team like that. Um, I mean, the Nets, you know, they're not ready for that. But but you could probably get Orlando. You could probably get Chicago. Oh, Chicago would definitely take DeMar DeRozan. They, they could use another guard that can't shoot threes. Oh, yeah. that yeah. You know what? That would be awesome. Um, Might as well get all of them. Collect yeah. the whole set. You know, Milwaukee, hey, while we're talking, we might as well go there. Yeah. I mean, there, there's plenty of teams. Hey, look, first of all, DeMar DeRozan is a good player. Like this is not I'm not trying to disparage him. I'm just saying that for 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 what the Raptors need to do, he's kind of in the way. He kind of holds them back. Yes, I agree. I, I agree, although he does do some things that kind of help, but like it's just certain matchups and certain games, he's just not very viable. Um, so I think that there's, I'm really excited about this, and I, I just don't know if Ujiri would ever really consider it, but we're also looking at the long term. Uh, goals of the Raptors. They don't necessarily want to be kind of relevant. I mean, I guess being relevant is probably a win and being in the conversation, but they've already done that. They've already been in that for a couple of years now. And if they really want to do something that will ensure that they will have the ability going forward, I mean, because Noguera is going to be someone they can really, you know, build around the front court. Uh, I, and listen, Damari Carroll's a guy you'd want on a good team in, in that third role. Um, and Kyle Lowry, you know, is going to give you how many more years is he going to give you? Well, he's 31, and he's going to sign a max contract this this offseason. Are, are, are these Dave's numbers, or is this are we sure he's 31? No, I think he's either 31 or he's 31 this summer. Let me. I'll double check. Is, are right. they Dave's? These are alternative <laughs> numbers. Right. I think he might be 30. I might have checked it, and it might be right. But yeah, yeah, I think. He, well, he's 31 this summer, right? When he goes to sign his contract, so um, or or starting next season, which when the next contract starts. So you know. You're looking to sign him until he's 35. That's not bad. I mean, you know, his game isn't really predicated on amazing athleticism. I don't think he's going to get any weaker. 
hopefully his shooting continues to improve and you know his decision making is fantastic so I, I think that you know he's going to get a max from someone and if I'm Toronto I probably would just go ahead and give it to him it, it, you know depending on what they're doing elsewhere you know I know there's this big thing where Toronto can't get marquee free agents and so that's that was the justification for signing DeMar to the max yeah uh, is to lose him for nothing. But, you know, they could have traded him last year. Yeah. No, you're right. And, by the way, the, the, the reason that they – or for that reason that they can't sign any free agents, then they have to do it in a trade, right? The, the only way is like they, is to bring a, a hostage over <laughs> and hope that they can wine and dine him enough where he'd be like, oh, I like – you know, Toronto's a nice place. I want to stay here. Uh, I mean, there's taxes implications as well, I think, which are negative for the Raptors, I believe, right? It's not a great place to work 41 times a, a year. Um and that's the other thing is, and by the way, I want to throw this out there because I was listening to somebody. We're talking about the contracts and how much money you have to realize. First of all, taxes you you don't you get fifty percent of your contract is taken away pretty much right from you know the get go. Then you got to give whatever ten percent to your manager, three percent to your or to your agent, whatever it is. You're not walking home with twenty million dollars a year if that's what you're making, and that's why I feel like. You know, people don't always understand that, and uh, and certainly the Raptors have that, that 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 problem because the Canadian income tax, which only applies to the games they play in Canada, um, you know, is higher than a lot of places in America. Yeah, and well, you know, like really, so when LeBron finally signs like this forty million dollar contract or whatever he's going to sign, um, we get half of that, you and me, like we literally take that from him. And it goes well. It's not going to any bridges or anything, but we're going to stick to sports uh, this one this time. But um, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> this is why places like uh, the Miami Heat, um, that you would think the Dallas Mavericks, like in states where they don't have a state income tax, that really does matter. All you need is a good, like if you have a team that has a good culture, you should be able to sign. You should have a leg up on in free agency because of the lack of state income tax. So, I mean, the Miami Heat leveraged that all the time to get guys to take a discount. Right. Yeah, and it is significant. There's no question. And I, I know the agents are the ones, you know, they're, they're the gatekeepers and they're the ones who really respond to that kind of stuff because it's like, you know, they like to be able to get more money for their clients too. So, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how that works. Certainly uh, provocative. And I, if I were, yeah, if I really were Masai Jerry, I would get rid of Valanciunas and Demar uh, right now. And you know what? If he did it right and he's good with this kind of stuff, they could become a championship contending team. Certainly, they could be miles above anybody anybody else in the Eastern Conference except for maybe Cleveland. And that's going to be better than where they are now. So should we move on? We'll talk some talk about this trade that just happened. Yeah. So let's go. Let's break it down. So the trade right. was. Uh, and now before I go crazy, it's it's straight up one for one, right? Plumlee. Well, all right. It's it's uh, Nurkic, Nurkic and a first for Plumley and a second. Okay. Um, and the first is going to be Memphis's first, so bottom ten of the first round. Uh, not really, you know, and for a team like the Nuggets, that that pick doesn't really have much value. Um, on Twitter, it seems like only people that watch a lot of Nuggets games realize how good of a trade this is for the Denver Nuggets. Um, Nurkic has not been good at all. He's kind of been uh, a little bit of a, a, a locker room cancer. He's very, been very mopey about not playing. Um, 
he kills their offense when he comes in because he's not the passer that that Jokic is. And uh, yeah, just generally like in kind of a, a malaise that has kind of left a funk on the entire team. And so to get rid of him and to lose a first rounder that they don't need, they don't need any more young players. They still have their own first rounder. You know, like they're, they're so stacked. They've got guys like Malik Beasley who cannot get into the rotation. He cannot get on the court. So they've got enough young guys um, to get him, like get him off the team and to get a guy like Mason Plumley, who, while he is a dumpster fire on defense, is actually a good passer, so you can continue to play the exact same way from the you know first minute to the last minute all game long. They can have guys cutting around. Plumley can can facilitate from the elbows, similar to Jokic. His lack of shooting means that you don't quite have as much space, but Plumley gives you let's say seventy percent of what Jokic can do passing. So it allows you to to continue to cut, continue to have guys moving. And so your your offensive flow doesn't really change throughout the game. Yeah, I, you know, here's the idea because I Plumlee has has been tantalizing as a player in the NBA where we've seen evidence every once in a while of something really great. Like, oh wow, he could be a Draymond kind of guy on short rolls and passing and handling the ball. Can't shoot it without question. I've seen him rim protect a little bit every now and then, although it's just not a real consistent thing for him for whatever reason. Not physical issues because this guy is built like a statue. But the argument now could be that putting him in a in a in a role off the bench where he can now do apply his wares against bench players more than starters could actually get you maybe more than 70% of what Jokic does output overall because he's a good rebounder. Uh, I, I, he can block a shot or two every now and then. If he's in, you know, Mike Malone built uh, an incredible defense in with the Warriors and you know, certainly has – we've seen some evidence that that could happen again. The, I don't, the Nuggets are not highly rated on defense now. I should check, but I don't think they are. But at the very least, I think, yeah, this would be a really nice pickup for, for Denver. And, you know, to defend Nurkic, you know, he started out as a starter, you know, and there's something about starting a season as the starter and then losing that job that kind of, you know, you're almost guaranteed to have a guy moping uh, at some point if he completely loses it and he really doesn't play much at all after that. It's tough because they clearly are playing better when he's not in there and when they have Jokic in there. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things where a change of scenery, I like to think, would, would do him some good. The question is, will he play it all? You know, is he going to get the minutes he wants in Portland? Right. Well, he's young, right? And, and he did show flashes um, in his rookie season before he hurt his knee. Um, I, I think he can play. It's just I think, he, you, like you said, he needed a change of scenery. Um Jake Anderson on, on Periscope just asked uh, if if Plumlee's defensive problems have to do with the fact that the guards that he was playing with up in Portland were so bad. And actually, it's part of what I think uh, Jokic's defensive issues are. I think Jokic and Plumlee could both be at least average defensive players, if not plus defenders. Jokic has... Really, really active hands, which is which throws guys off when they get inside and try to do anything in the post. Um, he's great at hitting any sort of entry pass. Um, but Moutier dies on screens. Uh, Dame Lillard dies on screens. C.J. McCollum dies on screens. Uh, so you hope that as these guards develop around him, that you see an uptick in defensive efficiency from Plumlee and Jokic. Now, I don't know that they're going to re-sign uh, Plumlee this summer. They may just let him walk. 
And if they can't get him for a good price, I don't, I don't, I don't get signing a backup center to starter money. And he is a backup, especially Jokic is, you know, one of the five best centers in the league. I think offensively at least. So um, Plumlee's not starting over him, right? Uh, that's an interesting question uh, as far as what he's worth on the market because certainly uh, you know he's used to sort of being a starter for at least in Portland. Uh, what is he worth? Is he, is he worth 12, 14? You know, I don't, that- it's, it's restricted free agency, so we'll find out. You know, um, that's that's the one beauty of the system is that you know like the free market will tell you, hey. Plumlee is worth this much, and and which is why one of the things it was really smart of the Trailblazers to not sign him to an extension last fall, because you want to find you want to let the market dictate his value in particular. Because I don't think he's a starting center in the league from a play perspective. So you don't want to overpay a guy, and and you know they weren't sure. I think going into the season. What you know is he going to be the starter going forward? They you know they signed Azili, so obviously they weren't completely enamored with with Plumlee, and uh, yeah, that was a smart decision by them. And then you know they got a first rounder and Nurkic out of it. Um, I imagine Portland is going to package that first with some other assets. They have three first rounders for this draft, and uh, I'm expecting them to make a relatively large trade. I think that they're going to make a big move and people are going to say, wow, where did that come from? Because, you know, the move, the deals that happen, you never hear about. Right, exactly, right. And yeah, the ones that we hear about are always sort of like floated out there, leaked to get like public reaction and, you know, probably for some other trade that we're going to see later, uh, usually. So uh, a fascinating thing. And I feel like, you know, obviously Portland might not be done. They, there might be another move they're going to make before the trade deadline as well. Maybe not wait for draft stuff to do those trades and get rid of those picks, uh, you know, which also brings up the question of, you know, CJ, Dame, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're anticipating something fun and amazing and exciting for the trade deadline. I really hope it doesn't turn into the same old dud that we normally see. But, you know, and it probably will. But, uh, you know, I, there's something going on there. I mean, how about this? Would like, w- could you do a trade like, you know, DeRozan for CJ or that kind of thing? I don't think DeRozan doesn't really move the needle. I mean, I think CJ McCollum is a better player. And, and Toronto people are probably going to come at me for this. But... Um, CJ McCollum is a, an efficient scorer. Mm-hmm. He's a better ball handler, and he's he's a 42, 43% three point shooter. I'd rather have CJ McCollum. So, yeah, I, I mean, CJ would help the Raptors a ton, um, but I don't think DeRozan moves the needle for the Trailblazers. And DeRozan, uh, they're about the same age because uh, CJ did his four years in school. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that said, well, no, CJ is younger than DeRozan. It's got to be, right? DeRozan is what? DeRozan is... 27? Uh, he is... Where is his age on this thing? 27? CJ is not 27. Isn't he? No. He's 26, right? Let's see. CJ is uh, 25. Oh, okay. So, All right. You know, that's different. Now, that said... Um, um, you know, the, the notion of getting DeRozan in a different situation, well, you know what, he's not. He'd be playing alongside the same equivalent of Lowry in, 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 in Lidler. So, Because I'm thinking that there might be other places where, you know, uh, DeRozan could be better in a different role with different players, but uh, that's not it. Anyhow. Yeah, I think, 
I think Orlando would make a lot of sense for DeRozan. I'm, I'm going to look into this further, but um, but yeah. So back to that trade. Um, you know, I, we it's possible we could see Dame or CJ get moved. I, I don't think it's probable. I think it's possible, but not probable. Um, with the three first rounders, Azili's contract it could be easily moved. Um, you know, Al Farouk Aminu, Evan Turner. I mean, you know, they could probably unload Evan Turner. Uh, my buddy Connor Williamson says, uh, "What about what about a first or two firsts, Evan Turner, to Orlando for Biombo and a second? And uh, I think that trade could get done. Okay. I mean. Biombo, what are they going to do? Like, are they going to cut uh, Azili? Like, what are they going to do? Yeah, they would. They could just either buy him out, or I think it's a is it a team option on his contract? I have to pull it up. But okay, yeah, I should just have these sheets up. Um, you know, yeah. uh, that's interesting. Uh, again, you know, Evan Turner to me, even Orlando might be smart enough to realize that there's not a lot of value for him, and I don't know if he moves the needle for anybody at this point. Uh, it worthy about me a video. I feel like there's something going on with with Evan Turner. I've been on Twitter. I've been talking about it where. It just doesn't work. It's something is a little bit off. Even though there are times when it seems like they're they're doing well, whatever. It's sort of disrupted a lot of things that were going so well last year for them. I think. Well, he was at all right. So he was at his best in Boston as the like ball handler on second units. Yeah. And now you've got Dame and CJ. So you know he's like surplus. You don't need his his best skill, which is his ball handling, right? Like you just don't need that. And so his inability to spot up in the corner. And hit threes really like makes him a non-starter. I mean, he he just can't can't play for them. Whereas with CJ, if he's off ball, he can spot up. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, that's true. Well, let's turn to Twitter. We have a good question from you and Duar who asks us: um, Do you think that uh, Brett Brown is likely to be the Sixers head coach this time next year? I do. I do. I, I think Brett Brown's. I think that. I, at least I like to think that he's in it for the long haul. I mean, not just him, but I think the team is fully behind him. Um, he's obviously been dealt a, a really difficult hand, you know, th- with the tank and, you know, the injuries and things like that. And and you look at what he's done without even having his full team. You know, they, they went on this nice run and, and they've played good basketball. And they're entertaining to watch. So the style of play under Brett Brown is entertaining. He's... Uh, very well respected around the league. One of my favorite guys. Like if he's ever on anyone's podcast, I'm listening to it because mm-hmm. he's got great stories. Um, you know, he was with the Spurs forever. So yeah, I, I think he's definitely still the coach, and I think he ought to be. I, the guy's good. He's really good at his job. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we're finally starting to see the results of all that culture building and all the um, fundamentals they've been installing and putting in. Granted, it's only when Embiid <laughs> is on the floor, but that means something. Uh, and I would imagine, yeah, that they're they're happy with what they did. They're doing this year, and there's progression. And I would imagine they're going to another good pick, and they're going to be, you know, and then Simmons is coming back. Wait, Simmons hasn't been back yet, right? Have, have I missed it? No, I think Simmons is going to come back after the All Star break, okay. and it looks like Embiid who's been out for, for the last, like, 10 games or whatever, um, has a slight tear in his meniscus. Ooh, on that, that but, awkward thing that he did? No, it was, so, yeah, on the bone bruise. But th- what they're saying is it's small and it may have already been there. Oh. Right. So um, the, he's out until at least after the All-Star break. I, I mean, you know, if they shut him down, it's not the end of the world. Right. 
Yeah, because they're still competing for that first spot, first pick. Yeah. And so, yeah, either way. But I, there's no question that I think Brett Brown has – there's something there. And they, they, at the very least, they owe him <laughs> the next year. If it goes south next year when they're healthy and they're like, you know, uh, 10 and 25, okay, then he might get canned before the All-Star break next year. But, uh, I, I mean, this is probably one of the reasons why it took so long for him to get hired. Because if you remember that summer, like they went back and forth. I don't think he got hired to like August, I want to say, because I have a feeling they explained what he wanted to do. And he was like, why would I want to do this? This is going to ruin my career record for my, you know, I don't know if he'll ever get back to a respectable record. I mean, you never know. Um, but I feel like whatever the assurances they needed to give him, whatever it was, was enough that he's like, okay, I will take the job. And it took a while to convince him, it sounds like. Oh, and remember, they did just sign him to an extension. Oh, they did. Right. So, yeah. yeah, he is safe. It's not even a, yeah, whatever. The answer is yes, he will be there. And uh, yeah. he will get, certainly get every opportunity to continue winning there uh, and turning it around. Uh, any um, other questions? Yeah. So uh, our buddy Gigolo Puff asks on Periscope, uh, should the Celtics trade the, I'm assuming he means the Nets pick uh, for an all-star or just keep it? Um, I, you know, I don't know if that trade's out there. The trade, you know, a, a pick for an all-star, but I actually think that the Celtics should just keep it. I, I think that that's the smart move. Um, there's there, a good there chance. No, you, you can't. He must mean like somebody else, right? Like a player right. and the pick or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because um, you can't but, get an all-star for a first-round pick. Yeah, but uh, I, I think that it's a smart move for them because you know they're they're sort of like straddling the line a little bit. I mean, they're the two seed right now. They're only two and a half games back of, of Cleveland and, uh, they're playing good basketball. And then they signed, they signed Horford to the, to the max contract last summer. So they obviously want to compete for a championship. Um, but with this team, can you beat Cleveland? No. Right. Right. Is there a guy out there you can go get that makes it so you can beat Cleveland? I mean, outside of Boogie, I don't know. And I don't think Boogie's available. So, they could use they could use a real point guard, and this draft just happens to have a few that are going to go really high. And if they have the number one pick, I mean, this is the perfect draft to be able to choose from if you need a point guard. This is this is what why do Dallas. Mean, how does that? What does that mean with Isaiah then? Well, okay, I have I not said this enough. Isaiah Thomas, I like Isaiah Thomas, man. I love that he's a little guy that can put up, you know, thirty a game, uh, but he doesn't play any defense. And his net rating is like 0.7 or something, like positive 0.7. And he scores 30 points a game. Um, yes, he does provide all of their fourth quarter offense. And that is a problem for Boston. And Marcus Smart was 100% correct when he when he said, we cannot just rely on Isaiah Thomas. But you can't rely him on a defensive end. I don't want to pay Isaiah Thomas a max contract when his contract expires next, uh, at the end of next year. Um, I would sell high on Isaiah Thomas. I would try to trade him. Yeah. To a to a contender, um, you know, someone that needs some scoring punch off the bench, because I just don't think with his defense he's a starter in the NBA. And I know, I know, I'm going to get killed for this because he is so good and he's so skilled, and you know he's going to go left and he's little, and somehow he still finishes every single time. If only there was a team out there that was looking for a playmaker off the bench to play for them that was a contender. Yeah, but you're not going to get Isaiah Thomas traded to Cleveland. Right, they're That's not, not going to hand them that that, no. that so easy. But you know, I mean, if there was some sort of three team deal and they got an all star in return, but there's your all star in return uh, thing. Right. Then, then yeah, they, they might, uh, but that would have to be like a CP three or something crazy. Like yeah. That. 
And um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think I don't think Chris Paul is going to get traded. But you know, there's something there's something that's going to happen. In, in oh, you Clippers. think? Oh, you think the Clippers are going to pull a deal? I mean, we've been hearing about it for I a think long they have time. To. And, you know. Well, the problem is they don't have to because, you know, CP3 is out. So now they're like, well, it's the only reason why we're losing is because he's not here. And once he gets back, it's all going to be great. I mean, isn't this is this metal thing dead or what? I don't know. I mean, well, the the no trade clause kind of kills things. Melo was fantastic yesterday, uh, especially into the game. And, And, you know, it felt to me like he had a little bit of a bounce in his step. And I don't know what it was about, maybe because you know, Dolan and the Oakley thing and, and the pressure was kind of off of Carmelo and he felt like, you know, he'd been under the spotlight a little bit too much recently, but man, he was great yesterday. And if I was a team that needed some scoring punch, I'd be calling the Knicks. I'd be calling Carmelo. I'd, you know, I, I would be trying to get Melo, I think. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, well, I don't know. I, I don't know how he fits in. Uh, anywhere, really, you know, because now you're going to take a guy who's like the man and trying to like shove him in, in the middle of a season to an already existing framework of a team, right? That's 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 not easy, you know, unless you can somehow get the FIBA mellow, which you know, who blends in great uh, with really good teammates and ends up being the best player out there as the third best player out there. So I don't know how that works. And maybe, but maybe you do, and 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 you know, I might have been too quick to dismiss that we could see, you know. FIBA Mello in the NBA. I mean, he did. He just passed Charles Barkley for 25th all time in scoring. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame player. Um, you you have to wonder if he wants a ring more than he cares about scoring, and that's really what it what it's going to boil down to with him. Right. Uh, and what do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. If he waives his no trade clause, then we'll know. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like at some point after he retires, he's going to realize, oh, I, I really should have you know, gone for that ring. And I think right now it just feels to me like he's much more interested in sort of being comfortable and, and having the life he wants to live, you know, and maybe not, um, not uh, winning or not winning a championship as, as the number one priority. I don't know. I'll tell you what, like. man. You know what? My quality of life would be way more important to me than a championship. Wow. You know? Am I happy? Is my wife happy? Is my family happy? You know what I mean? Like, because you can't get back these years, right? Like, you, you you know, and life is short. And who cares about a championship ring? You know, when you're an old man, you're going to be like, man, remember that how much fun we had living in New York City? Um, I, I just I just don't think that we, we put a little bit too much value on championship rings. Wise words from yeah. Dave Dufour. There you go. We will have to do our own little. Uh, that'll be one of our quotes we tweet out in uh, on Twitter with this podcast. So, uh, and again, don't forget, you guys are watching our how we record our live podcast on Periscope. And if you're listening to the podcast later and you didn't get a chance to check it out, make sure that you you know when, while we're recording this on Monday mornings, we broadcast it live on Periscope, so you could actually you know get a taste of it for a few minutes while you're doing whatever else you're doing, and then come back and listen to it on iTunes and vice versa. We love having the the feedback and the interaction. We're actually you know, we're answering some questions right now on Periscope and Twitter. So make sure that you put part of your schedule away for our Monday morning uh, Periscopes. And, uh, and then come back for more when you can hear the whole thing uh, with your headphones later on while you're working out. Yeah, absolutely. This is, uh, this is one of the most fun things that I get to do. So um, I really enjoy it. And we've got our live show tonight for anybody who's listening 
or watching right now, we'll, we will be breaking down the uh, the. Do we decide? Yeah, I think we're doing the uh, TNT game. It's uh, OKC and Washington. Oh and yeah, Washington. Wall That's versus right. Russ. Yes, yeah, right. Russ versus John Wall. Um, I'm expecting John Wall to have a big game. I think John Wall. I think John Wall maybe gets a triple double tonight. Yeah, interesting. Um, okay, well, certainly, you know, we none of us are fans of Russell Westbrook's defense that much, and so uh, you know, Wall getting big numbers tonight certainly would be uh, within the realm of possibilities. Uh, and then Wall's defense, usually when he's engaged and whatever, ready to go, certainly is good or great. Do we think he's going to bring the the A game today? Who, John Wall or Russell? Is, is, is oh, Wall's yeah. defense is he going to be able to shut down Russ? I think we're going to get a big John Wall defensive performance. I, I don't know if you're going to get him to shut down because how do you shut down Russell Westbrook? Um, but I, I think that we're going to get a big time performance from from John Wall. And you know, we we kind of jumped. We didn't even think about this yet. Um, OKC Golden State on Saturday night. Um, what did you think about Kevin Durant's return to uh, to Oklahoma City? Well, I mean, I thought that Kerr had a great line where he goes, uh, you know, you can boo the player, but I think cheer the man. I think something like that is what he said. And, uh, you know, it was pretty crazy and pretty intense. And I actually had to leave. I left before I saw the altercation, I suppose, or whatever the words were between Russ and KD. And um, I know that KD has been trying to play it down and sort of say, well, you know, this is between me and him. and, And it's not that big of a deal or whatever, but it is a big deal. And these guys were supposedly really good friends, and then he never talked to Russ. And I think it's all on KD for probably doing it poorly, that he should have been the bigger man and said, hey, I'm deciding what's going on. Now, Russ might have done his job to push him away as well, but Russ is the guy who stayed, so, and KD's the guy who left. So it's up to him, but perhaps KD doesn't care or doesn't seem to value the, the need to have that friendship anymore, which is also his prerogative. Uh, and it also might have been a thing where, you know, Russ could have pushed him away enough where he didn't feel comfortable reaching out. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a lot of intrigue and certainly gave us some what made a, a relatively blowout of a game more interesting. Yeah, it felt like the whole squad, like the entire, like, I mean, Roberson, Robertson, God, I always mess that up. Roberson got into Katie's face. Um, you know, you had the little headbutt incident, not a headbutt, more of a head rub. But, um, yeah, it just, I don't know, man. Like, I really wanted him to come back and it to be good-natured fun. But it just felt, it just felt vindictive. It just, it wasn't fun. I, I wanted him to, no, by all means. I, I trash-talk my friends probably harder than I trash-talk anyone. You know, and, and that's how I wanted it to be. And I was a little disappointed that we didn't get that because I think the NBA is at its best when it's good-natured trash-talk rather than this, Whatever this narrative was, where Katie's some kind of bad guy because he changed jobs, right? You know, I, I know. Listen, Russ is definitely culpable in the whole thing, in the in, in the overarching reason for KD wanting to leave. 
And and by the way, it, it, what does it say where you know they've had these promising teams and these players, and like slowly but surely they all sort of leave, and they all leave in a in a very you know uh, it's not um, it's not a nice way. Like you know Reggie Jackson left angry. Uh, I, I would imagine that Harden, you know, even though he was traded. You know, it, I don't think it was going perfectly in the locker room, and I think that's what they were sensing. And, and Durant left. Um, you know, I think I'm missing somebody else. Uh, I mean, I know Ibaka got traded as well, but either way, um, you know. Well, there was similar stuff about Ibaka as well. Oh, yeah, right. He was complaining too. So it's like, well, if you start looking at this and figuring out, well, if there is a common theme, it's, I, you know, it could be Russ. It could be the way he plays and the way he is and the let Russ be Russ you know, allows him to be as successful as he can, but it also rubs people the wrong way. I, again, I'm just conjecturing here, but after a little while, you look at this and realize, well, you know, something's going on and there's got to be, you know, there, there could very well be a theme here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that where there's smoke, there's fire. And, uh, you know, who knows? I, I'm not sure... I don't know. I, I don't want to say that Melo is like or Melo. I don't want to say that Russ is a bad teammate, but there's some smoke there. Right. You know, and the culture they talk about, which they spent so much time in OKC trying to to build, and like you know, Kevin Durant was saying stuff like they wouldn't allow him to speak to reporters at certain times. I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast, and uh, and like that's kind of weird. I think he was contrasting it to how how open they are with the Warriors, for instance, which is different because he's older now and he's a veteran and knows what to say or what not to say. But still, um, you know, there's a real sort of you know closed atmosphere where people are maybe on eggshells and they're afraid to say things, and and it just all builds into that, and it doesn't make for the best you know, work environment, I'd imagine. Again, a pure conjecture, but, you know, a lot of times when you've read these books about seasons afterwards and you re realize, you find out the truth was pretty close to what you've been hearing over, you know, through the years uh, or through the season about what's going on. So whether or not it is a conjecture, there's something there and it probably has something to do with Russ and the way he is. And, um, you know, you're getting a lot of great basketball from him, but you're also pushing people away. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I know I, I know that I wouldn't want to just stand 30 feet from the basket and wait for my turn, you know, on offense. Uh, that that would drive me crazy. And, and I think that, you know, Kevin Durant's been pretty open about that in a roundabout way. Yeah. But I was just disappointed. I really wanted it to be more fun. So it, it, instead, it was more like you ran into your crazy ex-girlfriend at the mall or something. And, and that I don't know. I didn't like that. It wasn't a good look. Right. Um, well, yeah. The one I will say this that you definitely you you make me stand thirty inches from my mic and have to wait for my turn every every week. So, but I'm not holding it against you. We're gonna run some pick and roll. Yeah. Right. I want to do a couple. Oh, never mind. Uh, anyhow. Um, but yes. Uh, but but that, that's why it works well. I am more than happy to to. to be in my role. It sounds like you are as well. And uh, and as a result, we're making some beautiful music together. Yeah, I agree. This is this has been awesome. So yeah, so let's forget. Maybe let's not forget. We're gonna do our live show tonight on Periscope, Facebook Live, YouTube, our YouTube channel, which has our live stuff. People break down live, and maybe we'll do a live look in during the game and just sort of do talk about it. Even though there might be a two second delay, we can try that. What do you think? Yeah, I think we ought to give it a shot. 
All right, so we'll try doing that, maybe doing like the second quarter. We'll cover like a whole quarter of the game, see how we do there. And then we'll do our uh, definitely a post-game show afterwards. So stay tuned for that, sports fans. And uh, also find this uh, on iTunes uh, or Stitcher or wherever else listen to your podcast if you're not watching the whole thing on Periscope, which is probably, I don't know if anyone's going to be able to stay through the whole thing for Periscope. So, um, but again, don't forget, we're here on Periscope when we're recording this. We're here on iTunes afterwards. Anytime you want to listen to this the rest of the week. And uh, anything else we got to talk about? No, I think that, I think we've basically covered everything. Cool. Well, awesome stuff. Great show today. And thanks for joining me, Dave, as always on Mondays. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Dave? Yes, I am. <laughs>